Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Am I coming through? Good. Um, so Jason prayed that we would be able to sleep. Can I encourage you to start that after the service? Um, I know there's somewhat one or two. Uh, <laughs> I won't call you out. Um, so this morning's scripture is, is actually, it's, it's very powerful and it's, it's going to be, uh, I think it's, it's a fun scripture look, to look at. And I'm trusting that as I'm preaching, it's not going to be like, you know, you see the point and that's the point. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you the whole way through. So it's not about minuting what I say. It's about allowing God to speak to you through the process of what I'm preaching. Because I believe that there's going to be lots of little things that God's going to highlight as we go. Uh, Last week, we started a series on the book of Judges. And how the people of Israel at the time, they went around and around the mountains, so to speak, again and again. They rejected God, then they became slaves to their enemies, then they cried out to God to save them, then God rescued them, then they became comfortable again with compromise, and they went back into the same pit they were in in the first place. They did the same thing over and over and over, and every time God raised up a judge to deliver the people. And how many of us fall into the same traps again and again and again? And the main points for from last week, if you missed it. Uh, God hears your, uh, our cries. God hears our cries. Whatever you are crying out to God, whatever's in your heart, God is listening. God hears you. The next thing was God uses, I mean, God sees our setback and he uses our apparent setback for his glory. So what do you think is something that's going to hold you back? Some disadvantage is often the thing God highlights to actually speak to people or rescue people. And God can use us to rescue others. I'm trusting that everybody in this church will be significantly useful in the hands of God. That it won't just be one or two that have this extrovert evangelistic heart, but everybody in your own space will reach the people around you. So we looked at Othniel and Ehud, people that God raised up to deliver his people. Ordinary, broken people that God raises up to speak to and reach the people that he wants to reach. Every one of us is somewhat dysfunctional. Uh, I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but we all have the things that we're dealing with. But God takes broken people to reach a broken world. And thank God he uses all of us. So today um, we have seven main characters in our scripture that we're going to look at. Um, First one, okay, we got our our circle there. There we go. Those are the... I'm trying to to see, sorry, I I got distracted there for a split second. Um, Deborah and Barak. Um, These are the good guys in the story. Deborah and Barak. This is is our hero, and this is the main general of the story. These are the good guys. Then we got Jabin and Sisera. Jabin and Sisera. This is the bad king and his bad general. You with me? Then we got Heba and Jael. And I, I know that Dale said I'm probably pronouncing all of these words incorrectly because it's Deborah or Deborah or something and Jael. But anyway, Heba and Jael. These are the neutral neighbors. These people are of Jewish descent, but they've kind of settled into neutral land. And then we've got um, God, who reigns supreme over all time now, today, in the past, and forever. God is God, and he's in control all the time. So God is the main character of every story we look at Scripture. In all Scripture, Jesus Christ is to be glorified. So, we'll pick up the story in Judges 4, verse 1 to 3. It says this. Deborah becomes Israel's judge. 
after Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Horasheth Hagoyim. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. So these people had compromised, they'd lived close to compromise, and now they were being oppressed by this enemy. For 20 years they were living in oppression. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord their God for help. So here it is again. The Israelites disobeyed God, they distanced themselves from God, then they ended up getting themselves in a situation that was very difficult, and they camped close to compromise until compromise got hold of them, and now they were enemies to their neighbors. Just like when we camp close to compromise, we become captive by sin. And King Jabin and the Canaanite king in Sisera, they were oppressing them. They were holding them down. They were making them their slaves. So what did they do? They cried out to God, as many of us in our lives have cried out to God. Yet there was a problem because they cried out to God and God saved them, yet they did what we so often do. They ended up in the same situation again in the future. Why? It's like falling in a hole. So we cry out to God to please save us because we've fallen in a hole. And then God does save us. He rescues us. He picks us out of the hole. And then we end up falling in the same hole again. Why do we do that? Because, and this is a point if you're taking notes, there's bits and pieces all throughout the sermon. Calling on God to cleanse us. Um, there is a difference between calling on God to cleanse us from our sins and calling on God to comfort us in our suffering. There is a big difference between calling on God to cleanse us from our sins and calling on God to comfort us in our suffering. So often, we sin, we suffer, we cry out to God to comfort us with the focal point being what? How we feel. The focal point is us, right? In other words, it's self-centered remorse. I've sinned, the sin has made me uncomfortable, I cry out to God, self-centered remorse. Instead of sin, which we all do, suffer, and then cry out to God to cleanse us. In other words, this is God-centered repentance. Not, please save me from my sin because now I'm uncomfortable. Lord, save me from my sin so I can reflect you. One is self-centered, one is God-centered. And so often, we go around and around these mountains. And there's a big difference between these two things. One is religious reformation and the other is spiritual revival. What we're trusting for as a church and in our lives is spiritual revival, not just uh, religious reformation. Now, what is the difference? One is when we clean the outside of the cup, but the inside's still a mess. And the other is when we clean ourselves from the inside out. Religious reformation is behavior modification that leads to temporary change of conduct. It's a short-lived thing. I'm going to try really hard, and I'm going to change my effort, and I'm going to do things differently for a little bit of time until I camp close to compromise again and fall in the same hole. Right? Spiritual, um, where am I? Where am I? Spiritual revival is when God changes our heart, not just our conduct. Um, so that's where the Israelites were. Sin, sorry, repeat. Sin, sorry, repeat. Sin, sorry, repeat. And we can look at the Israelites and we can say, okay, what, 
What was it that caused them to go into the same hole? You see, they were in spiritual and physical bondage. So they cried out for physical comfort, yet they weren't spiritually revived. So they ended up falling into the same pit again and again and again and again. So what we do is we try and change our behavior, but we don't recognize that our spirit needs revival. And when we connect close to God, the relationship brings the change, not the actions. Is anyone with me? So we'll get into the story. (laughs) So we need to ask God to cleanse us, not just to comfort us. Yet, of course, God wants to comfort us. But not just comfort us so we can go back to compromise, but to cleanse us so that we can live different. That's why David... A man of many sins, he had a heart after God, and he prayed this, Psalm 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. I don't just want a change of circumstances. I want a change of character. Change me. Change my heart. May I not just go into this religious mode of trying harder, but may I be a completely new person. Anyway, back to our story for today. The people cried up. out to God, and God raised an incredibly powerful leader to deliver them, and her name is Deborah. Judges 4, verse 4 and 5. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. So she is an incredibly influential woman with great wisdom. She's prophetic. She's godly. She's more of a civil leader than a military leader, yet essentially she's both because God raises her up to be a judge. So she hears God. She's got this prophetic gift. She resolves disputes, and then God raises her up to deliver the people. So she's both a civil and a military leader. And even though she's the judge over Israel, she sees herself as a mother to the people, right? And I, and I trust that this will stir something in some people where you go, actually, God can use me in the most powerful way. At the time, military leaders were essentially men and men only. And what happens is God raises up this powerful woman, she delivers her people, and then she celebrates in the most feminine way ever. And we'll look at that at the end, right? She wasn't there to compete with the men. She was there to obey and honor God. And in obeying and honoring God, she didn't fall into competition. She just raised up to lead as she was called by God to lead. Right, so the people were oppressed, and then God calls Deborah, and Deborah gets into action. Judges 4, verse 6 to 9. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, <laughs> that's the correct pronunciation, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. So Deborah goes to to, to the general, um, where's his name, Barak, and she says, Barak, this is what the Lord says, get your Guys, together, go down. The Lord has given you this battle. This is like the girl at school saying, hey, I've organized a fight with you and the school bully after school. Um, So you're going to go and fight with him. And don't worry, kickers, um, beat him up because God be with you, you know. So she's saying, look, 
the Lord's gone ahead of you. He's created this battle. He's going to win it, so go and fight. So this is how Barak responds. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. You know, I'll fight the bully after school. But only if you come and stand by my side and fight with me. Otherwise, I'm not fighting. She is. Now imagine, she, he said, look, she's heard God. Go and fight. God says, the battle is yours. You're a general. You're a military man. Take the battle and go and defeat these people that are oppressing us. With your little army. He's like, uh, I'll go if you go. This is her response. Certainly, I will go with you. It's just, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went back to Barak. Uh, sorry. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. So God tells Deborah, I will give you victory. Tell your general to go and fight. And he's like, really? I'll go and fight, but only if you come with me. And with this faithful confidence, she's like, no time to hesitate. Let's go to war. This is a strong woman. And with this conviction, she, she raises up the faith and off she goes. And Brack was, was he being a sissy <laughs> or was he being wise? Wuss or wise? Um, is wuss a word you're allowed to say? Now that I ask the whole church for a response, let's have a vote. Yes. Is Barak being a wuss or wise? As sissy as it may look, he was probably being wise because the odds were heavily stacked against them. And he's saying this, if I go to war, I want to know that God is going with me. And if you are hearing God, so he is very wise, a lesson to learn. And church, please, this one take to heart. Not when it's comfortable, when it's uncomfortable. Keep godly counsel close. It's, we all amen that until godly counsel disagrees or is uncomfortable. Keep godly counsel close. It may not always be easy. It may not always, you know, go the way we want it to. Yet if we don't keep godly counsel close, then we fall into unnecessary destruction, pain, and heartache. Keep godly counsel close. So Barak was right. He was like, if, if Deborah hears God, and she's got this prophetic gift, and she's got this incredible um, courage and passion and understanding and all this wisdom, I want her close. And he had to have her close because the odds were horribly against him. So Sarah had 900 iron chariots. Barak had zero. So Sarah had 40,000 trained military soldiers armed and ready for combat. They were trained soldiers. Barak had 10,000 guys with homemade weapons because the weapons had been confiscated from Israel. They were fighting in the flatlands, which means that the territory was very in favor of the chariots. So these guys were going into big trouble. The odds were horribly against them, but God. But God. So all Barak and his small army, in which we couldn't really call soldiers, these were a motley crew, you know, they they, they filled with this confidence and this godly woman encouraging them. And that's what they've got, a word from her. And she's giving them courage. And she's willing to back it up with her life and go with them to battle. And then the battle comes. And this motley crew gathers together. And Barak goes, 
weak at the knees, as you would in this situation. You've got this big enemy, you this small enemy, I mean, a small little um, victim, so to speak, that's on its way. And then Deborah gives some faithful courage to Barak and his troops, and she says this. Then Deborah said to Barak, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Some of you need to hear that for your future. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. This is a woman with absolute conviction. She doesn't say, we hope it happens. <laughs> I hope you win. She says, the battle is already yours. It's already finished. It has happened. God spoke and it will be. No compromise, no question. God said it, so it is. In those days, the head of the army would always go first. And she says this, God has already gone. God has gone ahead of you. So therefore, you're not leading this army. God is leading the army. What Deborah is doing is helping the people look at God and listen to what he's saying instead of looking to their natural circumstances and hearing the voice of doubt. May Deborah's rise up amongst us that are strong, powerful, godly people, men and women, who hear God and have a conviction to speak his truth over every circumstance. And off they go. And the battle begins. And God shows up big time, as God does. Judges 4 verse 15. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and armies by the sword. The Greek word for routed there, it means to throw into confusion and panic. So the military soldiers, they came down into the valley with all their chariots. And then it says, and then what happened is we found out later on there was a storm and the chariots all got stuck in the mud, right? And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. So the general with his big army goes down into the valley. They get themselves into trouble. They get confused. They get thrown into confusion. And he starts to... That's Greek or Hebrew for he runs away scared. And in chapter 5, we read it, it, was, it was dry season. The odds were absolutely against the Israelites. But God, the banks flooded, the chariots got stuck, their benefit became their burden and the Israelites' blessing. What we think the enemy has becomes his burden and our blessing. Some of you need to receive that this morning. Side note, the Canaanites worshipped Baal, who was also known as the god of storms. Only highlighting that their god with a small g had no authority over God with a capital G, filling the Israelites with faith and throwing the rest into confusion. So their god had somehow sabotaged them. And God Almighty had showed up for battle. So they turn and they run, including the general. But remember Deborah's words, saying that the general will fall to the hands of a woman. Now he's running. So from the battle, Sisera runs off to his neutral neighbor. Uh, this is where Heba and Jael come in. These are people of Jewish descent, yet Jael is, uh, Jael's husband, Heba, he's living in the gray area. And even though he should have been supporting the Israelites, he should have been supporting the Jewish people, he's not. He's, he's going, I'd rather live in the gray and not rock the boat. So I'd rather stay close to compromise so that I don't cause any kind of, um, I don't upset the enemy. 
And I, I think some of us kind of can fall into that trap too. Live close to compromise. We don't want to rattle anything too much. So we will live in the gray area. We won't say what we need to say because we don't want to stir. There is no gray area when it comes to God. Yet Jael, Heber's wife, is a little bit more cunning. She's certainly not as flaky as her husband. So things are about to get interesting. Judges 4 verse 18 to 21. Jael went out to meet Sisera. So this is Sisera is the general of the enemy. He's running for his life. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord. Come right in. Don't be afraid. So he enters her tent and she covers him with a blanket. So at this stage, things had just gotten intense. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Whew. Tough crowd. Okay. All right. I could see people there like, dad jokes. So, so Jael is cunning and Sisera is running. They're in the tent. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She, that's pretty direct. He knows what he wants. She opened a skin of milk, <laughs> gave him a drink, and covered him up. Would you like some water? Yes, please. Yeah, I have some milk. You know, like on the airplanes. Chicken or beef? Uh, beef, please. Wrong. It's chicken. <laughs> Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. So this woman, at this point, must have thought, no man comes into a woman's tent except her husband. You know, especially not in that culture in that time. She knows that there is a war going on, that he must be on the run, and he's asking her to lie. Right? So at this point, she's suspicious. Things may have been in the gray area before, but now all of a sudden, black and white. Now enter the PG-121 content for violence. Cue the creepy music. What happens next? But Jael, Heber's wife, ooh, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Well, that escalated quickly. Here's, here's a cup of warm milk and a blankie. Boom! Tent. And from that moment, the men of City Hill never camped again. <laughs> and he, can I help you with a tent? Mm-mm. <laughs> this was the end of Sisera and the end of Jabin's rule over the Israelites. God used Deborah to inspire a nation, to build faith, and to free God's people. An amazing, powerful woman of God. Once the people were free, Deborah gives all the glory to God, and this is when she celebrates in the most extremely feminine way. In chapter 5, Deborah and Barak sing a song to the nation about what God has done and all that God had done in bringing victory to the battle. Men would be like, oh, tonight we feast, you know, in victory. And Deborah's like, let's sing a duet, all right? <laughs> Barak's like, only if you sing with me. <laughs> yeah. After all she's done. So what can we learn from this? God favors faith. This morning, Brent gave a word about comrades and about handing out oranges to the people. And we have these oranges of encouragement that, that people in the room need. 
And we need to, we need, God honors faith. And some people are going through incredibly difficult situations, but God can use us to speak life to them. Why? Because we understand the word and we share it forward and we have an absolute faith and conviction that if God spoke, it is. God honors faith. God plus one is the majority. We would rather stand alone with God than with a crowd in the gray area of compromise. Deborah recognized that what the people needed was faith and obedience. Security is not in our numbers. It's in Jesus. Faith leans into the voice of God. Not what do we see, what do we feel, what has God said? And this keeps us coming back to the question, Lord, what are you saying? What is God saying to you now? And how's this? Does the answer require faith? In 2 Samuel 24, David got rebuked for counting his army. David was like, hold on, this giant opposes the living God and he takes him down and he grows in influence, eventually becomes this military general, powerful man. And then he starts to count his army and he gets rebuked by the prophet because it's like, you used to have your faith in God, now you have your faith in numbers. Church, let's come back to faith in Jesus. Not numbers. Christ alone. Whatever you're facing now, our victory, our peace, our plan is found in faith. It's what pleases God. Matthew 17 verse 20. He replied, because you have so little faith, I tell you. um, Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So Lord, I pray for a, a faith that pleases you over over all of us. That whatever mountains you see before you, whatever enemy you see before you, no matter how big, overwhelming, powerful it may be, God plus one, you've got to do is lean into the voice of God. Surround yourself with godly people who will pull you into his presence. Do you have a Deborah in your life who's speaking life? Or are you that Deborah to others? The next is don't hesitate. If God is telling you to do something, Deborah was bold. Let's do it. Let's go for it. God spoke. Let's do it. If God is telling you to, to do something, do it. If God is telling you to stop something, stop it. If God is telling you to go and speak to somebody, go and speak to them. Don't hesitate. I, I know I've shared this before. And I, it, it's, I guess it's a painful privilege. I, I have had the, the opportunity to pray for multiple people that have given their life to Jesus the same day they've died. We need to be bold in our convictions and not just keep this good news and the gospel to ourselves. Go out, raise faith to the people around you and go and take the land that belongs to Jesus Christ because the enemy has too much territory. And yes, he's powerful and yes, he's big, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Deborah didn't hesitate. We're going to have communion now. Just to recap what I shared. Call out to God, not just to comfort us, but to cleanse us. Lord, may we have pure, righteous hearts. Keep godly counsel close. When God is for you, who can be against you? And Jesus Christ didn't just die so that you could go to heaven. He died so that you could live a full, victorious life. And he says this, church, 
There's many things that the, the scriptures describe the church as. One of them is an army. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for those he can devour. We need to put on the armor of God. May this morning be again a reminder and a commissioning that you are in a battle. And it's not what we can see. And what happens is we want physical comfort, but we need spiritual revival. I want to pray, and then we're going to come forward, and we're going to take the, the bread or biscuits and um, the juice, and we're going to trust God for breakthrough. Your enemy might not be as visible as the enemy in the Old Testament. It could be spiritual. It could be, it could be something in your mind. It could be unforgiveness. It could be bitterness. It could be resentment. It could be something else that you're harboring, and that thing is what's fighting you. This morning, let's put our enemies to death. Because we recognize that Jesus died so that we could have life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the lesson we can learn from, from Deborah's faith. Lord, she was a bold and courageous woman who heard your voice and had the wisdom to walk in obedience. I pray, Lord Jesus, that this morning, whatever we're up against whether it's we need financial breakthrough, we need relational breakthrough, whether we're dealing with uh, something in our hearts that we're struggling with, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that this morning we experience breakthrough. The word that you've spoken to us this morning again and again, I love you, I love you, I am love, I love you. I thank you, Lord, that as we take this communion, we recognize that you didn't just die on the cross, you suffered a tragic, torturous death so that we could live abundant lives. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. May we be like warriors that bring territory back for the king and the kingdom. And the word I started with is the word I'll end with. Be still. And know that I'm God. Give us a faith to move mountains, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.